given the uncertainty of travel in the days of the pandemic, the deacons and I thought it would be wise for me to ask someone else to be prepared to preach this morning in case for some reason I was not able to return. To that end, I asked Brian Zerker if he would be willing to bring a message from God's word to us this morning. Many of you know Brian. Many of you have sat under his teaching either as students at PACA or as he's been an adult Sunday school class teacher many semesters here at Calvary, usually but not exclusively in the fireside room. And Brian and Susie have been in Brazil for 20 years and um, raised their children here and they've all gone back to the US and Brian and, Brian and Susie are still here ministering. Um, to the students at PACA and ministering to those of us here at Calvary International Church. Brian, it is a privilege and a pleasure to welcome you this morning and thank you for your willingness to share with us. We are eager to hear. And I know this is an awkward thing and maybe I shouldn't point this out, but you and DJ are dressed identically this morning and you may want to get, you may want to take a photo uh, later. I'm sorry, I just saw that as you were coming up. Welcome, welcome. You're welcome, DJ. How's that for an icebreaker? That's good. <laughs> but I get to take this off. So. <laughs> okay, good morning, Calvary Church family. So, again, what Pastor didn't mention right here was that uh, I'm a teacher, but I'm not trained as a, a preacher. And... I love studying God's word and I love sharing what uh, I'm able to study and what he brings to my heart. Um, my hope is that uh, in some small way that today I can share with you from John 12 what he's been sharing with me. And that as you go from here though that you don't just stop with John 12 but you go home and you study it, you look at it yourself and pour over it, kind of like the good Bereans. So when I think about uh, preparing for Sunday school or even for this, one of the things that, that I do is I go to other people that are much more trained than I am in studying scripture. Um, and I look at their sermons and their commentaries, and I like to, to listen to those. Uh, some of my favorite sources that, and even some of these I, I looked at for today, are uh, Charles Spurgeon and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Warren Wearsby, uh, John MacArthur, John Piper, Chuck Swindoll. These are some of those that, that I go to. They have been trained to study God's word uh, much more than I and I may rely heavily on the notes that I've prepared and written down here. Um, when I get in front like this, I might uh, struggle to pick the words that I want otherwise and ramble on, and that I might end up going a lot longer than what I intended. So I'll try to stick to what I've already prepared here. John 12. Uh, 1 through 11 it means a lot to me and it, it's mean, meant a lot to me in the last 12 months. Let me start with uh, just a little story. My, my father uh, passed away a year ago December and 
As we were preparing for the memorial service, the pastor came over to my house, my parents' house actually, and it's the house I grew up in, so it's my house, or it was, and uh, we were sitting around the dinner table and, and he asked, as he wanted to, to know what to say to remember my father at the memorial service, he asked each one of us, what story can you tell? What is a favorite memory you have of your, of your father or of your husband or your grandfather? And that, that, that conversation around that table is just clear in my mind today. I'm thinking about the things that I wanted to remember my dad with. And then as I was studying John 12, and I was thinking about uh, even how might I be remembered? And, you know, Pastor just introduced me with a few things that, that I've done here. And is, is that what I want to be remembered as? Is that what is important? Is that what's eternally important? Or should I even, should I even be worried about how I'm remembered? These are things that have been going through my mind a lot. Um, maybe you've had the same thoughts over the last 12 months uh, with this pandemic. Uh, the, the idea of death is kind of put into our face. It's right there. We don't know uh, what tomorrow is going to bring. And that's something that Susie and I have been, it's, it's really made an impact on us in this last 12 months is just how grateful we are each day that we wake up and we have the breath of life in us yet. And we thank God for that. Today, though, I would like to look at the first 11 verses of John chapter 12 and look at how five different individuals were described in such a way to be remembered and then kind of use that to think about if that's how they were described to be remembered. How, can I use that to maybe think about how I will be remembered or how you will be remembered? Did they do something to be remembered? Did they intentionally do it to be remembered? Or was something done for them, and then as a result of that, we remember? Let's go ahead and look at John chapter 12. Uh, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. 
Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So that's our passage for today. Let's go to prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that you've kept this word, your word for us. You've preserved it over the years. We thank you that you use your Holy Spirit to inspire this word. And these words are your words. I just ask that you would work in our hearts and show us what you would have us to learn from this passage today as we think about those who are being remembered and maybe even how we are remembered. So we commit this time to you and ask that you would allow us to sense your presence here as we are studying your word. We ask it in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So as we get started here in the first verse, six days before the Passover, that's kind of the setting of all of this right here. It's the time of Passover. Uh, to the Jews, this was an important time. This, they commemorated the time when the death angel passed over his people because of the blood that had been put on the doorposts, granting them life. They were able to pass from death unto life. And through this passage and through what's about to come later in John, we can see that God has set us free as well through the blood of a lamb, his son, and atoning for our sin so that we could have restored fellowship with him. Um, what I didn't realize as I started to study about this is the, the town of Bethany, the name for that town, most of the commentators believed, could be translated as the house of affliction or the house of misery and death. So it seems kind of fitting when we look at this all in context. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 6, in a similar um, story here, we see that it says, while Jesus was in Bethany, same city, in the home of Simon the leper. So this is a leper. A leper at, th at that time was called a walking dead man. Why a walking dead man? Because they were basically dead to society. They were, they were asked to be removed or to remove themselves from the normal everyday life. This leprosy began usually with pain in, in the extremities of the body. And then numbness followed. And then the skin in these spots would lose its original color. It would get thick and glossy and scaly. And then it would begin to decay. The smell. The smell of decaying flesh. I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity. You don't want to have opportunity to smell that. But when I was first in Brazil 20 years ago and walking to my workplace two or three blocks away, I had to walk past 
a street dog that had died and had been left at the side of the road. And for several weeks, it smelled, and it smelled really bad. And there, where it was located, I really couldn't even cross the road, or I had to walk past that. I got a, a good picture in my mind of what a leper was supposed to say to announce that, that they were in that condition, unclean, unclean. This leprosy, though, has also become a symbol for sin and its spread and its horrible consequences in our lives. It starts out small. It can be kind of numbing, a little bit of pain. But then it can cause damage to our relationship with God and with others. And our relationships can start to decay and to rot and to stink. So this is where we find Christ in our story. He's sitting in the town of Bethany with this walking dead man, this leper, Simon the leper. And you might be thinking the same thing that I was thinking when I studied this, is how is Simon the leper hosting Jesus at his house? If he's a leper, how can he have Jesus there? So most of the commentators say that we can infer that he is no longer a leper. He's Simon the ex-leper. Simon the ex-dead man, if you wish. And then the next question we would ask is, how did he become an ex-leper? How do you become cured of leprosy at that time? And Again, commentators say that the best answer to that is that Christ probably healed this man as well of his leprosy. So then it, it's, it draws a whole new picture into this as, as Christ is sitting there with Simon the ex-leper. This ex-leper is now able to say, I'm clean, I'm clean because of the work of Christ. So the, this is the first person we wanna think about how he was remembered. How do we remember him today? So Simon the leper, first of all, how did he become clean? Through grace. Not, he didn't set out to say, I'm gonna clean myself. I'm sure lepers would have wanted to be able to clean themselves, but they couldn't clean themselves. Just like we in our sin, we can't clean ourselves. The only possibility is by grace and by the blood of Christ, which we're gonna be foreshadowing with this story today. We also see a beautiful picture of him in his gratitude, opening his home and fellowshipping with Christ. Again, we don't do this anymore, I don't do this. Recline at the table, but here we see him reclining at the table, conversing with Christ. And it's, I think, a beautiful picture of the fellowship that he had, the closeness that he had so we could try to imagine that, that we have this once unclean, now clean leper, restored hosting a dinner. You know, the, the people in the neighborhood must have known about this, but they're doing it to honor Christ. So we could remember him that way. And I want us to take how we remember each one of these and apply it to ourselves. How could we be remembered 
we, if we've received that new life, if we've been cleansed, we could be remembered that way. And we could also, like Simon the leper, bring honor to Christ. Maybe not by opening our home and having a meal and reclining with him, but, but we can recline with Jesus all the time. And we've actually had in the last year an opportunity to be still and to stop what we've been doing, our busyness, and to recline. So how, how will we be remembered? And then still in verse 1, uh-oh, uh, where Lazarus lived, this is Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So here's something else we know about the town of Bethany. This, and it was known for this for many years afterwards. This is the city of La that Lazarus was raised from the dead. It's been known throughout history. It's recorded for us, this account of, of Lazarus being raised from the dead in John chapter 11. I'm going to read a few verses from that just to remind ourselves of it. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. We skip down a few verses to part of verse 43. Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Who comes out? The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So we're in this town of misery and death called Bethany in the home of a walking dead man, Simon. In the town of a dead man, Lazarus, the city where he was raised to life, and it's at the time of the Passover, commemorating the past death of a lamb, providing freedom from slavery, but foreshadowing where we're going with Christ being the Passover lamb. And his life, blood, atoning for our sin, his life, coming from death. So first death and then life. And we see in verse two here, it says here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Now we like to give dinners in honor of people, but this is a really special celebration. It's an evening meal. That's, I guess, how they did it then, reclining, as I mentioned earlier, and relaxing. The day is over. It's full of conversation. And again, I I can hardly even begin to imagine what this conversation was like. Simon, the walking dead man who's no longer dead, and Lazarus, the dead man who's no longer dead, sitting, reclining at the table, conversing with the giver of life. It must have been a very joyful time for them, full of gratitude, a time for celebration. Now, this city, like I said, was known for misery and death. That was what his name meant. But I think Jesus went here and found with these people an oasis, kind of like a resting place from those who were against him. One little refuge with those who truly 
followed him and truly loved him, and those, especially those two who had found this new life. And that, let's go on to the next person that I'd like for us to think about and who is to be remembered, and that is Martha in verse 2. And there are just two words here. It says, Martha served. Martha served. And when I first started studying this and I thought about Martha and I thought about Martha serving, it, uh, an idea came to my mind of the last time in Scripture that we hear about Martha serving, right? Back in Luke, when Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet listening and Martha is walking around doing all the preparations. And what does she do? She complains. She, com she compares herself, her situation, to Mary's situation. It's not fair, she says. I'm doing all this work. I'm serving. This comparison was because she got her eyes off of Christ. Mary's eyes were on Christ. Her eyes went to herself. This is so easy to do. This is something that I, I find, you know, in my life, I've, I've, it's so easy just to be, when a situation comes up to think, how is this gonna affect me? How does this affect me? But Jesus reminds Martha in that account that the true focus needed to be on him. Relationship with him, serving him, loving him, and listening to him like Mary. So it's, I think it's interesting that we have just these two words here, Martha serves. It doesn't say Martha served, but she was still kind of concerned about having to do it by herself. So to me, it looks like there's been a transformation. Now her brother has been raised to life. She is joyful. She's rejoicing. She wants to serve. She loves the person in Christ who brought new life to her brother. She's no longer comparing, looking at herself, looking at others. She's looking at Christ. Her eyes are on Christ. She's serving out of joy, joy of resurrection. And the thing about Mary, or Martha, too, is that she, this is, this is her way of showing affection, is to serve. And now she loves Christ by her serving in the way that she normally would show affection, her characteristic method. But now it's got a motivation for the love of Christ. And this, I think, is what we're, maybe what we should look at this passage and say, this is what Martha should be remembered for, her service, but her service in love for Christ. I'm sure all of you know of people who, you can, if you think about it for a moment, those in, in your life who love to serve. The doers, they're busy all the time. You got someone in mind? For me, it's my mother. Uh, she has a wonderful servant heart and when she hosts people in her home, she is, I can imagine, like Martha, just up doing, I mean, she is. She's always up moving around, doing things. And 
But one thing that I remember a lot from growing up was when missionaries would come to town to our church and they would need a place to have lunch afterwards. My mother would invite them over and serve them lunch. And sitting around that same table that I told you about earlier, I would hear stories from these missionaries of what was going on all over the world. And I think that had an effect on, on just on my outlook on life as well. But I heard stories of, of them talking about God's faithfulness. How, and, and these, you know, they came into our house and they didn't have a lot. You know, they weren't dressed in the greatest clothes or anything like that. And me as a kid, I'm looking at them and they're talking about how faithful God has been to them and how blessed they are. And then they shared uh, stories of how lives had been transformed. And so I think of that, just what that situation with my mom allowing them into our home and serving them and just the effects that that, that can have as we serve. So Martha is remembered as one who served. Serve from the heart now. How can we serve? How can I serve? How can you serve? How can, how can, how can we show through our service our deep affection for Christ? Then in verse 2 at the end, we're almost done with verse 2. It says, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So here's Lazarus again. First of all, he'll always be remembered as the one that Jesus raised from the dead. But here we also have him as one who's sitting at the table, again in fellowship, listening to Jesus, conversing with him, probably pouring out some of the things that has happened to him in his life as well. But if we skip down to, let's look all the way down to verse 9, 9 through 11. Let me read this. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So now, because of Lazarus being raised from the dead, what we have is that others are starting to follow Christ. What a way to be remembered. Let me just share a little bit from a retired pastor, Steve Cole. He describes how Lazarus can be an example for us in our witness. He says, first off, Christ has to give us new life. That's where the new life comes from. Just like these people, Lazarus, Simon, were changed transformed, right? Brought to new life. It's something we don't do on ourselves. Second, just like they were reclining at the table with him, we must spend time in fellowship with him, learning from him, fellowshipping, reclining, resting in him. Then, lastly, because he came to seek and save the lost, we can pray that God would use us to be a part of that, just like Lazarus was being used 
for those to come to Jesus. And I really like what uh, Steve Cole says about this. He says, take this verse, 11, if you look at it, and where Lazarus' name is, take out the name of Lazarus and put in your name. And then read it like this. On account of, put your name there. On account of, many were going away and believing in Jesus. That would be a way to be remembered, right? Let's think a little bit about what Lazarus did. What did he do? First off, he died, <laughs> right? He died. Then he was raised to new life. And it's really interesting. When he came out of the, the, the tomb, he was all wrapped up in all these grave clothes. And Jesus asked others to help him remove those. He didn't even remove the grave clothes. So, so far, there's really nothing he did that he could have done by himself, right? It was out of his control. But he was so grateful after that that then he sat at the table and fellowshiped with Christ. And then God used him. I don't know that he set out to, to have all these people come to Christ, but God used him in that way. What a beautiful way to be remembered. And now, verse 3. Let's go back to Mary. And Mary is probably the the individual in this story that uh, drew my attention to this even in the first place. How is Mary remembered? How do we think about her, this Mary, throughout scripture? Well, the first thing we have is that story I mentioned earlier with Martha, Martha running around serving, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And what is she doing? She's listening. She's listening to Jesus. Second thing we hear from Mary is when her brother has died and she goes to Jesus and falls at his feet and says to him, Lord, if you had come earlier, my brother wouldn't be dead. She shares her hurt. She shares her sorrow with him. So she listens and she's communicating and sharing that with Jesus. But what is she remembered for? Martha is remembered as serving. I think Mary, from this story, is what was she able to do? What did she give? What does she treasure on this earth and then share? In Mark 14, verse 9, it says, Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. How will she be remembered? Scripture even tells us this is how she is going to be remembered. She is going to be remembered for what she did. So let's take a look at what she did. Now, many of you may not know, but I'm a science teacher, and so when I look at this and I look at all the words that are used to describe Mary and her gift and what was done here, I see a lot of measurements that are being made. Numbers and the qualitative aspects of it even. So the first thing that is told is that it's, she came and she gave a pure nard or a pure perfume. She only gave what was pure. So this wasn't like 10%. This was the 100% stuff, 
okay? And you can buy perfume or the essential oils, I guess, that are not 100%, but you can get the 100%, right? So this kind of shows me too that it's a, it's a reflection of her affections. She loved Christ and her love was pure as well. And then we look at the 500 milliliters. And I don't know, just over the past two weeks, this is kind of interesting to think about. Uh, it's been brought to my attention a couple of times, but I mentioned essential oils a moment ago. Well, my wife dropped an essential oil container, a little, just a little bottle, this week and for the next couple of days, I could smell it, <laughs> even though she, she cleaned it up. I don't know if, if, if it got on my shoes or whatever, but I'd be like, what does that smell? <laughs> and that is a little 10 milliliter bottle. They say that this was, and it, they put a, a size onto it that was about 500 milliliters, 500, half a liter. So quick math. How many bottles of the essential oil would that be? 50, 50 bottles. So imagine taking 50 bottles of essential oil, breaking them all in one spot. <laughs> Can you get, you get the picture, right? How much did this cost? I looked it up on, on Mercado Libre and somewhere between 1,000 to 3,000 hay eyes for 500 milliliters of the, or 50 of the 10 little bottles, anyhow. But at that time, Judas actually put a number to it. And Judas was the one that knew about money, right? He's the one that said that this is worth a year's wages. A year's wages. Charles Spurgeon once uh, wrote a sermon on these verses and he called it something that really got my attention as I was looking at this, his title to the sermon on these verses was, okay, students out there, I see a few of you, concentration and diffusion. Concentration and diffusion. So in my chemistry classes, we talk about concentration. If something is concentrated, it's in one place in a large amount. So what was in a large place, or in a small place, sorry, in a large amount? It was her unrestrained, her lavish, her extravagance, her gratitude, her affection, all placed at Jesus' feet, concentrated. Just, it's hard. It's just hard to imagine that. It's her love for Christ, all concentrated in one spot. Spurgeon asks us to stop and think about us sacrificially giving that something. What is it? Probably not 500 milliliters of essential oil, but what is it for us? What is it that is of such value that we could give sacrificially, unrestrained and lavishly? And then it says the fragrance filled the whole house. That's the diffusion. That's Graham's law, right? Some of you might remember studying that, where the gas is released here and it occupies, it doesn't just say the whole room, it says the whole house. So it went to all parts of it. So this concentrated gift of Mary, her unrestrained, her lavish, extravagant, overflowing affection did not stay in that one spot. And no diffuser was needed for this. It, it just, 
the fragrance went out. And so we see Mary's heart overflowing with love and gratitude like this. And a word came to my mind as I thought about this, and that was prodigal. The word prodigal sometimes I think is used or maybe not well understood in the English language as far as what it really means. And it means like wastefully extravagant. So we use it with the prodigal son who was wasteful and extravagant, right? And that's why, that's why it's used that way. So think about Mary. Maybe we could call her the prodigal perfumer. So she is extravagant and wasteful. That's wasteful, right? To dump all that out. She doesn't care what others are going to say about that, that it's wasteful. So I guess we think about how she's remembered. If she's remembered that way, could we be remembered? Could I be remembered as wasting something for Christ? Something so valuable that others are going to look at me and say, that's wasteful. Why are you doing that? my time, my talents. For me, my future, it's not that much more, but I see a lot of young people out here. You guys have a lot of future that you could extravagantly, prodigally <laughs> give to Christ, share with him. How will you be remembered? How will I be remembered? So sooner or later, that fragrance was going to go out throughout the whole house. And when you do that, when you share like that, I know. I can, I can just, I feel confident that if you give of yourself like that, that fragrance is going to be detected. It will. So I think about this happened to Jesus right at the beginning of Passion Week, right? Think about all the places he went. Probably... After this, he didn't clean up, didn't shower, you know. So this smell, the, the smell of this perfume that was used at funerals is probably with him as he's going in the, into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, as he's at uh, the, the table with the Last Supper, as, as he's before Caiaphas, as he's before Pilate. There, what is that smell? Mary who used her hair to wipe it, right? That, that smell, imagine all that essential oil in her hair, how long that would stay in her hair. Is my love for Christ that detectable? That's what I've been, one thing I've really been convicted with as I've studied this passage. Is it that fragrant? Can others tell? Is it, is it lavish? Is it extravagant? So for Mary, that perfume was not the thing that she held highest. It wasn't eternal life. That's not what she was looking for. What she held in highest honor was Jesus. She loved him and the life that he could give. I firmly believe that you will not waste your life if you spend it in selfless devotion to Christ. If you spend it that way, in love for him.
no matter what others think about what you're doing. And now let's move on to the last person we're needing to remember. And this is Judas. Verse 4, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, what do we know about Judas? How is he remembered? Great greed, ambition, self-interest. Probably joined up thinking he was going to get wealthy and famous, right? He was looking for a different kind of kingdom. Um, he was entrusted with the money box, so he probably had a lot of influence. He was a lover of money, a thief trying to get all he could. But yet he was so close to Christ as well. He was so close. John Piper gives a really good contrast here between Mary and Judas. He says, Mary is generous, but Judas is greedy. Mary is humble. Judas is arrogant. Mary is selfless. Judas is self-centered. Mary's perfume filled the air. Judas' words contaminated the air. Mary loved Jesus and Judas loved money. So as I was thinking about Judas and what he valued, I thought of a commercial from years ago that ran for a long time, different, different ways, but it was a MasterCard commercial. Are you guys familiar with MasterCard? They had a little thing where they would talk about what is priceless, right? And so if we thought about it this way, the first scene might be Judas looking at Christ and putting a value on Christ himself. Well, he sold Jesus later in this week for how much? 30 pieces of silver, which they think was about $1,000, $1,000. So for Judas, Jesus, $1,000. What price did he put? What value did he put on the perfume that Mary put on Jesus? A year's wages. So that was about $25,000. So in Judas's mind, Mary's perfume was about 25 times more valuable than Christ's life itself. But what do we see? In the, in the MasterCard thing, right, there are some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. Well, no. What are the things that money can't buy? Mary sees this. She values Christ. She says Christ is priceless. Priceless. So Jesus' response, how does he respond to Judas? Leave her alone. And as you read through it, you see that what he tells Judas is that she can recognize my value and you don't recognize it. So how will I be remembered? How will you be remembered? Will we be remembered as ones that value Christ the way Mary did? To know him, to sit and listen to him. Priceless. Are we reaching for that, that most valuable thing that we can lavish on Christ? What is it in our lives? It, there's no measure to the value of Jesus. And for a few math students that I have, I see at least one of you in here right at the moment, um, Jesus is 
inexpressibly wonderful. There's no limit, okay? No limit at all to that. And Mary is inexpressibly affectionate. There's no limit to her affection as well. She's not calculating what the cost of this love for him is going to be. So there are the five individuals that are remembered and maybe how we can remember them. But I think maybe looking at each one of these, we can ask ourselves, where are we at along this? Simon the leper, who is no longer a leper, fellowshipping with Christ, honoring Christ by opening his home. Lazarus, raised from the dead, given new life, also fellowshipping with Christ and used to bring many to Christ. Martha, we see the transformation in her from comparing and complaining to serving out of joy, joy in the new life and the life giver, her love for him. And then Mary, listening to Christ and sharing her sorrows with Christ and extravagantly showing her affection for Christ. And, and Judas, loving money, not valuing Christ. The end result for Judas was it led to death. This was suicidal, not valuing Christ where he should be valued. So as we finish up, ask ourselves some questions. How will I be remembered? How will you be remembered? Has Jesus graciously given you new life? Do you make time to fellowship with him? What value do you place on Christ? Is it infinite? What, what fragrance is coming from you? I know it's hard to tell right now with masks, but <laughs> sorry. But I'd like you to think about that as you leave and as you, maybe throughout the week, just go back and read through this and think about what extravagant gift could you present to Jesus?